Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary on this Tuesday. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you're watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and like the video. If you're listening in podcast form, leave a rating or a review and hit that subscribe button. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email this show, Couch Potato Diary, at, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll choked up about it yahoo.com build up that suspense you know uh coming up on the show today we have fantasy football discussions uh the good the bad and the ugly when it comes to that we got uh some blue jays free agency talk because they didn't get the big one so now you know have to pivot can't just fold the franchise as someone make you think um and we will get into a couple of diary entries watch the flames game last night for bigger picture topics of that uh check out game over calgary on sdpn wherever you are consuming this uh you can check that out there um that's you know, bigger picture stuff today i'm just going to kind of do a blow by blow breakdown and then a couple of quick thoughts on the the raptors game that i was able to watch last night as well so that's all that's going on let's get into it by talking with some football uh, talking about some football, not with a football. That'd be weird. All right. Um, it is now fantasy football playoff time. At least it should be if your league is smart. Uh, so let's get into the fantasy football waiver wire for the week. We will start at the quarterback position. Will Levis um, helping lead the Tennessee Titans to a come-from-behind victory over the Miami Dolphins last night. A couple quick thoughts on those games. Um, real bad loss. Real, real bad loss for the Miami Dolphins last night. Like, that game was over and they just absolutely let uh Tennessee back into it like the the whole the only thing the prevent defense does is prevents you from winning that's kind of what happened in this case where Miami just backed off and could never accelerate again that's that is a a learning lesson for Miami and it might now cost them the one seed in the AFC and that home um home field advantage in the AFC title game and that first round bye and for the Packers just when it felt like things were starting to kind of click for them um, it unclicked. That's uh, another bad loss against the Giants. I, I guess specifically for the defense to give up those drives at the end against Tommy DeVito, who I still don't think is very good, but is having a bit of a renaissance right now. But anyway, uh, Will Levis would be the quarterback I would pick up this week if you are desperate, say if you lost Justin Herbert in, say, I don't know, two of your leagues. Um, you can go out and get Will Levis. Going up against a, a Houston team that kind of got sliced and diced by the New York Jets. Um, Levis, it seems like, has a pretty good chemistry with um, Nuke Hopkins, the... Uh, the Ty J Spears out of the backfield situation seems to be going pretty well as well. So I, I think things are, are starting to click out there in Tennessee a little bit, not to the point where they're contending or anything like that, but for, to the point where for next week, you can use Will Levis at running back 39% owned. I have Donta Freeman. Um, he kind of feels like he is the number one back for Chicago right now. And this offense is starting to, to click a little bit with Justin Fields back under center that they're moving the football a little bit. And it feels like Freeman is, or sorry, Foreman is kind of the guy. Ty Chandler, um, he is also appearing to be the guy with Alexander Madison banged up this week for Minnesota. He is 22% owned, and I think he should absolutely be a pickup. Josh Palmer sounds like he's coming off of the IR. He's 30% owned for the Chargers. 
I think it's pretty clear the Chargers' pass-catching options have not been good enough this season. Palmer has an opportunity to, to really step in, and I would imagine he gets quite a few looks early on. So that could be one of those sneaky waiver claims that could potentially win you a week. Uh, we also have Zay Jones, a wide receiver. If Calvin Ridley is going to be that inconsistent, then this is going to certainly be a situation that I think Zay Jones can step into and have some success in out in Jacksonville. At tight end, uh, Chigia Kongwo, 34% owned. Again, th this is maybe more Tennessee than I'd like to have in a waiver wire for the fantasy playoffs, but Kongwo was a big part of a couple of those drives late. They even gave him a run play kind of in there. Um, that might have been one of those that was a pass that ended up being a run, but either way, that it, it looks pretty good for for a Kongwo and for your streaming defense of the week Atlanta against Carolina anyone against Carolina is what you want at this point Carolina's offense is dreadful and Atlanta's defense is actually playing okay so that's our look ahead to next week but we have to take one last depressing look back at the most recent week each week I come on here and let you know how difficult fantasy football is we put in all of the prep all of the work and yet um, it still ends up where guys come out of nowhere and put up monstrous weeks. So each, each week, I look at the players who put up the biggest points for the fewest teams in our stupid but good fantasy football team of the week. At quarterback, Desmond Ritter from Atlanta, 10% owned, but put up 26.38 fantasy points. Um, at running back, Chase Brown houses that screen pass for the Cincinnati Bengals. The Canadians, 6% owned, 16.5 fantasy points. Rico Dowdle of Dallas, back down to 10% owned after people thought he was good for a little bit, 11.2 fantasy points. A wide receiver, Wandale Robinson, 9% owned, 11.5 fantasy points. Also a wide receiver, Michael Gallup for the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys offense uh, putting up some numbers with guys who weren't on fantasy teams. 12% owned, 10.8 fantasy points. At tight end, he is our biggest owned of the week. It's Hunter Henry. A whopping 24% of owners got the 16 points that Hunter Henry got. Uh, and then this one, I watched this game and forgot who this guy was. Davis Allen, the tight end for the Rams, is owned in as many fantasy leagues as I am, and he put up 11 fantasy points this week. Minnesota's defense against the Raiders, when you pitch a shutout, you get 20 fantasy points. Uh, they were owned in 24% of leagues. And Greg the Leg Zerline, our kicker for the week, 7% owned, 17 fantasy points. In all, this team that had the Minnesota Vikings defense and Hunter Henry as the top owned players of the week put up 140 fantasy points, which would have won every one of my leagues this week and in a couple launched me into playoff spots. So that is the stupid but good fantasy football team of the week. All right, it has been a frustrating time for the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's try to figure this shit out as we get into some baseball talk. So, now that the Blue Jays aren't going to get Shohei Otani, that's been made official, um, it's now time to figure out what they can actually do and figure out what do they actually need. Because, obviously, the number one need for every team is the next Babe Ruth. Um, but since they're not going to get that, what does this team need? They still need an outfielder, uh, preferably one who could play center field. I would like for that to be Kevin Kiermeyer. I 
don't think it will be. All signs point to the Blue Jays talking about Kevin Kiermeyer in the past tense, not the present tense. Um, I would like to have him back, but also I would like Cody Bellinger and, um, I'm, I'm ready to get hurt again in chasing after the next biggest available free agent bat. This Blue Jays offense needs something. And Cody Ballinger, I think, has found that something again with the Chicago Cubs. The underlying numbers tell you that this might fall off a little bit again, but not to the point of a couple of years ago. Like, fall off to the point of hitting, like, 255 with 20-some bombs and however many RBI that would get you. But I think that... The, the Blue Jays offense desperately needs that kind of pop, especially from the left side in the, the middle of this order. He can also play a really good center field and can play first base on days where you want to spell Vladdy off of uh, off of there. So I think his defensive versatility, his defensive ability in general, makes him a worthwhile pursuit. If you don't get him, I think you should move heaven and earth to try to bring Kevin Kiermeyer back. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Michael A. Taylor as well. Um, so we'll see what the Blue Jays end up doing, but Bellinger would absolutely be the, the way that I would try to go. They are going to need a third baseman. I, I think Chapman's going to price himself out from the Blue Jays. I think they're going to need to go with a, a bit of a bargain bin move here. I'm going to say Evan Longoria from, from the, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. This is not one that would make or break it. And if you want to just say, try or Elvis Martinez as a call up at third base, you're not going to get a ton of argument from me. Um, even if you just wanted Longoria to be the right-handed bat in a righty-lefty platoon with Kevin Biggio, I just don't think you can have Biggio playing 130 games. Um, although, maybe with extended run at one position, he does actually step up. But I, I would much prefer Biggio just as the one end of a uh, lefty-righty platoon. And so I, I think Longoria, I think you could probably get him for under $10 million. Kind of have that be the Brandon Belt contract from a year ago. Um, I think Longoria can still play a, a strong third base and can still provide a, a bit of pop for you. Uh, the team doesn't really have a designated hitter at this point. I would bring back Lourdes Goriel Jr. That is someone who I would like. I think that would be a nice boost to a clubhouse that felt lifeless a year ago. And, like, he obviously still has pop. He can play the outfield for you still. He can play a number of different positions. Although it feels like at this point, he is basically just an outfielder. Um, but he has played other infield positions as well. And that's a, a versatility that the Blue Jays have valued. You know he's a fit. Um, you know what he brings. And so that is... That, that is something I would make a bit of a priority in trying to bring him back to Toronto. And again, I, I just felt like the lineup really missed that bat a season ago. And I do still think they would need one lefty off of the bench. I would try to bring in Michael Brantley. Um, a lot of people going for Jock Peterson. That would be fine as well. I think Peterson, if you bring him in, he's kind of starting. Um, and so with, with me putting Guriel in the starting lineup, Peterson maybe doesn't fit as much as a, a starter. Brantley, you're probably not putting the outfield. He would basically just be a left-handed bat off the bench and the occasional fill-in guy. But I, I think that, A, it's like kind of the professional hitter that the Blue Jays have longed for, um, that they went out and got it last year in Braden Belt. You, you know he's a fit with George Springer. He has been on championship-winning ball clubs. He brings that championship pedigree that can help this team. So that those are the, the four players that I would target from a Blue Jays standpoint. Apparently, they're in on Yamamoto. That would be quite the flex to have the best pitching staff in baseball and then bring in the best pitching free agent. But this isn't a regular free agent, right? Like, the kid's 25 years old. He's won back-to-back -back NPB MVPs. So if the Blue Jays still have the uh, financial wherewithal to just drop $300 million on a dude, he certainly seems like he would be worth it. 
And to have a one, two, three of Gosman, Barrios, and Yamamoto, that would be pretty something. I'm not holding my breath. It feels like he's New York bound, uh, but the Jays are at least getting a meeting with him. Now, we've been through that before. But that certainly would be quite the move. Um, I, I would still like some p starting pitcher depth for the Blue Jays, but though that, that can come with spring training invites and, and stuff like that. Um, in terms of trades, it's tough. We don't really know what the trade market is out there right now. The only player that we've heard is really available, or players that are really available, are starting pitching options. And like we just said, the Blue Jays, they could turn a strength even stronger if they want to. But I, I, I do think that, um, like... For me, the, the best option would be whatever you were going to give the Padres for Soto, give that to the Guardians for Jose Ramirez. Like, that that would be my absolute, like, best case scenario. Um, we, we've heard nothing to indicate that Ramirez would be available, but if they're moving on from Shane Bieber, maybe they are looking to get a little bit younger, and that they, I think they would do wonders with an Alec Manoa. Um, and maybe like an Alejandro Kirk or, or something along those lines. So that, that is where I, the direction I would go anyway with this particular ball club, but we'll see what happens here as the baseball off season now really starts to ramp up now that Shohei Otani Sai is on his way to the Dodgers on an incredible contract. Uh, all right, it's time now for a couple diary entries. <music> So, for those of you who are new to diary entries, I take notes on every game that I watch, and so, in, like, a lot of times, you know, it's talk radio or podcast, sports podcasting or whatever, bigger picture, like, what does it all mean? Sometimes it's just nice to dump the notebook out, and so, with this show being called Couch Potato Diary, these are uh, diary entries, and we have two of them today. One um, is going to be a bit more in-depth than the other as I just caught glimpses of Toronto against the, the Knicks in basketball, but the, the main focus last night was Calgary against Colorado in the National Hockey League. The Avalanche come into this game at 1-3-2 in their last six, while the Flames had lost three of four. Early on, Colton hits Tanev into the wall. Um, Tanev is slow to get up, and then he goes immediately to the uh, locker room. He was out for the whole game and is not going to be in the lineup tonight. Uh, DeSimone gets called up, but you, you could see throughout the night how this Blue Jays team really did struggle, or sorry, how this Flames team really did struggle without Tanov on the ice. The defensive responsibility just wasn't there from a Calgary standpoint. Um, Calgary ends up shorthanded on this one, actually. Uh, Hannafin jumps in and gets the only penalty and off of that power play, Colorado gets a decent look with Ranton, uh, Ranton, but we'll talk about that that power play later. Kadri makes a strong move down the, the right wing side, and it sets up a possible chance. This line was really playing well in this game, and this was a strong play by both that really kind of set the tone, I think, for how this game was going to go for for, for Kadri and for Pospisil, uh, with Manjapani there as well. Just a really strong play sets up an even stronger play, and it's those types of things you really like to see, and why I think Pospisil is sticking around on that line instead of bumping him into a fourth-line role and bring Coronado into that spot. Um, Kale McCarr tries to make a backdoor pass to Devon Taves, and it just... Missed, but it's a great read by both of them, and I think it is the first of many times in this game where we'll talk about the Flames being caught puck watching. Um, and it's not, it was a problem that this team's had a couple years ago that wasn't necessarily something under Daryl, and it hasn't really been an issue this year, but all of a sudden. Everyone was just staring at the puck and not worrying what was behind them. And Calgary almost got caught slacking there, and they did uh, a little bit later 
on. Uh, McKinnon gets a steal from Solovyov for a chance. Um, this was weird. A couple of times in this game, McKinnon just overskated the puck while he had it. Like, he he is away and gone, and the puck just kind of stuck on him. So Calgary kind of, kind of got away with one on that one. Um, and then you would see... Oh, also coming off of this, you're starting to see Calgary have trouble sustaining pressure here. Like, Solovyov turns it over at the blue line. The Flames were a lot of one and done in this game, and that was a, a bit of a problem for, like, the second period, as you'll find out, or as you know from watching, was not a problem. But, um, overall, that this team had some real troubles really getting things going offensively uh, and sustaining that pressure offensively. Uh, McKinnon would set up Rantanen for a one-timer. Colorado was really looking for one-timers early on, and it kind of felt like they were being a little too cute with things. Like I said, they had just one win in their last six games. It really felt like they were trying to make the perfect play to score the perfect goal to to get this thing back up and running. And it, it just, yeah, it felt a little bit too cute for me. Um, Taves showing how good of a defenseman he is with a, a nice stick to break up a two-on-one. Like, we talked about it on the Hockey Canada roster a couple of weeks ago. Taves and Makar is the best defensive duo in the NHL right now. And it's by a lot. They, they are just, they are so incredibly good. Uh, but then, Calgary gets a, a steal in the neutral zone. Coleman pressures, I believe it was Ranton, and sets up Kadri, who ends up scoring. Um, it was a bit of a sloppy play from Ranton in the neutral zone. You saw a lot of that from Colorado in this game. There was a lot of sloppiness from the Avalanche. Um, Calgary takes advantage here. Good finish from, for, from Nazem Kadri. He's now got 17 points in 19 games. It's actually higher than that now. Uh, but off of this one, that's what that got him to. Um, and it's Calgary 1-0. Um, after that... You get Makar, McKinnon, and Rantanen. They do a high cycle with it up top. Like, a lot of times when you think of the cycle, you think of it down low, back behind the goal, with the, the what the Sedin's twin, what the Sedin twins did back in the day, right? These guys were doing it up top, and it draws a, a tripping penalty. Colorado loves working at the top of the zone, right? Like, McKinnon um, lives up at the top of the zone. At least he used to. It wasn't as noticeable in this game, but he would live at the top of the zone. He It lets him see the whole ice. He's got a shot that he can score from there, and he's quick enough that if he needs to dart down, he's always a weapon there. So it just, it makes defending them really, really tricky. And here it draws a penalty, and this is where you can really see the difference in um, Colorado and Calgary. And it's something I talked about on Game Over. It's the attention to detail that turns Colorado from a good team to a great team to maybe even an elite team. We've talked for a while about the Flames' power play and the struggles they've had, and specifically breaking into the offensive zone. This is where Colorado really would shine. Like, Calgary, when the faceoff send it down, if that happens against the Flames, it's about 40 seconds so the Flames are set up again. With Colorado, it was like 12. Like, it was, you may as well have not won the faceoff at all. Because um, they get down there so quick. And instead of doing the bump back and everyone stands... Um, basically still at the blue line, letting one guy make all his moves in, they bring it up with speed. And you have McKinnon, who's backing the defense off because he's Nathan freaking McKinnon. And as he is doing that, Nikushkin is also coming in with some pace on the, the, the left wing side. Mc, uh, McKinnon is able to, to get to the blue line, quickly drop it off to Nikushkin. Um, McKinnon stops up. It's a quick bump back to McKinnon now that he's in the offensive zone. And now you're in your setup, right? Like it's just, it's a quick two man game on the one wing and it's just like a quick pass and another one. And now they're set up instead of having one guy try to go against four. Everyone is flat footed. Once he gets in, now everyone has to go to their spot or whatever. It's just, it's a quick bing, bang, boom. 
and they're set and they're ready to go. It's so efficient. It's beautiful to watch. And it's it's one of the reasons why this Colorado power play is so deadly. They're not taking time messing around, getting into the offensive zone, getting set up. And okay, well, now we've got our setup and now we can work it around. It's just like, no, okay, what are we doing? We're going for a goal. All right, sweet. That's what this Colorado Avalanche team can do. They would get a couple really good looks off of it. Dan Vladar, exceptional on this penalty kill. Makes two absolutely amazing, put a star by it type of saves. The penalty expires, Colorado keeps possession, they send it out in front and Colton scores. And this has to be one where um, Vladar's looking around like, really? Really? This is what we're really, this is what we're doing, hey? Because, um, it was, sorry, it was Myers who was left in front, I believe. Uh, no, sorry, it was Tatar. I'm getting my, he was left alone in front mixed up. Um, it was Tatar left alone in front, and he puts in his first in 30 games. Calgary was so fixated on the puck on this that the front of the net was just wide open for Thomas Tatar to pot one home, and he does just that, like just absolutely letting your goalie down, and this game ends up tied at one. Uh, Calgary takes a penalty. It is Huberto with a bad pass to the neutral zone that gets turned over, leads to a chance, and leads to a penalty. Um, and it's something I broke down on game over last night. When the Flames try to do cross-crease pass or cross-ice passes, it gets broken up and taken back the other way. When Colorado would do cross-ice passes in this game, it ended up in goals for Colorado. Like, it's just, it's again, the, those details that Colorado has down that the Flames just don't. And a lot of it, too, is Colorado's just better, right? Like, I'm not saying that they're this plucky team that just has this attention to detail and that's why they're winning. No, they're also really, really good at the sport. And that, you know, helps. Um, but this was another case of just that smart, that, that great awareness by Colorado and what they're able to do with this team offensively. Um, there's one play. First off, Calgary clears it again. And this time it's Nikushkin with a, with really good hands on the blue line, stick handles his way in and they get set up. They work it around. McKinnon sends it across to Ranton and one timer stopped. It's a really good read by Vladar. He gets over there and like Millen was saying on the broadcast, basically beats beats him to the pass. Like he is there ready for it. And so everyone on the avalanche recognized this immediately. And they try something very similar. It kind of looks the exact same. And sometimes you could maybe think, well, I mean, if they're trying something the exact same, like you have to be ready that there's going to be a variation there. But how many times in the NHL do we just see the Washington Capitals just spam feed Alex Ovechkin one-timers or the, the Lightning do that with Kucherov or whatever, right? Like dry subtle, same thing. So you're thinking, okay, well, they're looking for this app one more time. Rantanen's got a bomb shot. It looks the exact same. McKinnon sends it across. Rantanen is ready for one-timer. Instead, stops it, sends it back the other way, up top to Makar, who scores. And it, it's just, it is, it's like a pitcher in baseball throwing a changeup in a fastball from the same arm slot um, with the, the same, like, arm speed and everything, and the ball comes in 10 miles an hour slower or faster, depending on the pitch. It is, everything looks the exact same right until Ratnan sends it up top. And now Makar may be the best defenseman in the world. Even if the goalie square to that shot, there's a real good chance he's scoring. But it has it has shifted everything from Calgary from um, over to that one side, and now everything is just a little bit offset, and Vladar is just a half second late getting over, and Makar is able to take advantage, and he scores. It's just, that is such a perfect adjustment on the fly. It is great awareness from um, McKinnon, especially from Rantanen and Makar, to, to see like, okay, plan A didn't work, let's try this again, but let's do it in this variation. It's a quick adjustment, 
and it leads to a goal for the Avalanche. And it's, again, it's just, it's beautiful, beautiful hockey to watch. They take a 2-1 lead. But the Flames give them credit, did not go away. Um, Nazem Kadri, good work down low, sends it out in front, and Andrew Manjapani ends up scoring. It's a perfect down low play by Nazem Kadri, who has been an absolute battler for about 20 games now. Like, this is, you, you can now, I think, officially just um, men in black memory erase October from your mind from Kadri. He has been great the last month and a bit, and he is now starting to, it's what we've been talking about, what they need from these high-ticket items. He is starting to elevate those around him. He did it with Zari, who goes up to the line with Lindholm. Now he's done it with uh, Manjapani, who gets a goal and played his best hockey in a month in this game. Um, and that ends up tying this game at two. But then you start to see the problems with youth. As Solovyov takes a cross-checking penalty, it's away from the play. It's on Andrew Cogliano in front, who at this point is not really a threat. It's just, a, it's a dumb penalty to take. On this power play, you see, again, great puck movement from Colorado. They work it around. Drouin has a good look in front, but he kind of bobbles it. They send it around uh, McKinnon to Nichushkin. That ends up hitting the post. Nichushkin gets another opportunity. It's stopped and cleared, but they get set up again really quickly, and Tatar gets a chance. And it's just, at this point, you're laughing at how excellent this power play is executing. And the talk coming in of, well, Colorado's power play is struggling a little bit. And Calgary's penalty kill is ninth in the league. Neither of those things looked to be accurate in this game. Um, but then Calgary does kill it off. They draw a power play off of a uh, Nazem Kadri strong play down low. It draws a hold. But again, you see the difference in setups. Calgary, um, I don't think this was the one where Huberto forced the pass in front, but it was something that happened where they had to come get back set up. And on one entry, it was Ol uh, Olafson with a, a nice stick, gets a steal and clears. Next try, Manson, steal, clears. Calgary barely gets set up with 40 seconds left, and they get an opportunity, and it, it ends up being stopped. Now, five on five, they do get a chance, and they score. Um, Blake Coleman walks in, and there isn't a whole lot on this one. Coleman shot it, Georgiev missed it. Like, that's wasn't a laser shot. Uh, wasn't anything like that. It was just a complete whiff by a goaltender, and that makes it 3-2 for the Flames. One thing I did note here, um, with Tanev out, McKinnon gets a shot here. It's blocked by Solovyov on the same shift that Uyghur blocked a shot. So both defensemen are limping off. I understand, like, you're in the heat of the moment, and we've been taught for forever, like, just try to block it and all these things. You already are missing one defenseman. It's the first night of a back-to-back you got a goalie with pads on behind you. Just let him. Let him make the stop. Don't need to block everything. Don't, like, ole everything. But don't be diving out there and putting your body out in front of these pucks to be blocking it. Um, I just, at that point, let the goalies make their saves. That's, I, I think there, there needs to, and it's, it's never going to happen, but I think that is a, a level of recognition that would be really nice to see. Like, hey, we're already down one. Maybe I'll let Vladar handle this one. He seems to be having an all right night. Uh, one more time now, they, they go from blocking shots and diving in front of things to just leaving players alone in front. This is the one that I, I thought was before. It's Myers, again, left all alone in front, and it's a goal. Pospisil and Sharon Govich are left watching, and it just, Myers is just left all alone, and that ties this game up at three. But credit the Flames, they bounce right back. Uyghur point shot stopped, floats up in the air, Zari, good hand-eye coordination, bats the puck into the net. I love for a kid who seems pretty slight, 
I love the amount of goals that he is scoring in the dirty areas. It's basically all of them. And that is such a great thing to see from a talented kid who is probably able to score a number of different ways in junior up through the American Hockey League. But he has that nose for the net that people talk about. And it's those types of goals that are going to have him be successful in the National Hockey League. Uh, Manjapani gets a couple of good looks stopped. He's absolutely buzzing. And then Calgary gets another one. Hannafin on a four on four, a nice pitch down low, circles around the back of the goal, sends it out in front. Sharon Govich scores. You guys know I love when Noah Hannafin is active in the offensive zone, and Sharon Govich rewarded for what I think was a pretty good game uh, from him. I thought I thought he played pretty well, and he gets rewarded with the goal there that makes it five to three. Um, and then. Basically, Calgary doesn't touch the puck the rest of the game. Third period, Colorado's just like, oh no, that's that that's mine. Thank you very much. Um, and just like complete dominance. The only time Calgary touched the puck really was when they were blocking it. Huberto's blocking a couple of shots, which I guess you need to do something that contributes to winning. I thought he was pretty bad last night. Um, it's back to the focus is on him now to be better because Kadri has stepped his game up. Um, Huberto has not, and it 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 needs to be it needs to be a lot better from from Jonathan Huberto. Um so now you get Wood with a feed to O'Connor. Uh great look stopped, but they control it again and Colton ends up scoring uh off of a rebound that just bounced right to him. And this was where it, you could feel things sort of shifting cuz Calgary like they had a great chance to clear, but Colorado gets the puck back and it just maintains that possession and it was just that kind of oh boy, we had him stop, we couldn't finish this possession off. And now it's in the back of our net. And then immediately after that, Makar shot stopped. Rantanen bangs home a rebound. Again, that net front presence, just not there. Even when Tanev's out there, it's just not there for the Flames. Uh, that makes it 5-5. Five to five. It is all Colorado. And then McKinnon gets a breakaway. It's a really nice chip off the wall. I think it's Nichushkin, um, who I realize I've said his name eight different times in this game. Love him as a player. Hate saying his name. Uh, Big Nick with a nice chip up the middle. And McKinnon is just gone, right? Like the the puck worked up the wall. You get, I think it was Anderson moving over um, to, to try to cut it off. But Hannafin and Coleman, who are the guys back, don't realize that there is, you know, like the fourth best player in the world or maybe even second best player in the world, like right behind you. Um, and he goes in and scores. And then it's it's game over. And Colorado wins it six to five. Overall, it's a, an effort from a Flames team that you can actually kind of get behind, like that there were some positives. I think the line changes really worked. Um, Manjapani, I, I think, played his best hockey in a while up there with, with Kadri and, and Pospisil. Um, Zari didn't look like he took a step off in playing with Lindholm and Sharon Govich. I thought this was Lindholm's best game in a while. And Sharon Govich has really found a role on this team. You're starting to see where guys are fitting in. It's now Huberto and Backlund that kind of need to get going. Because Coleman's been great the last little bit. But Huberto and Backlund, you'd like to see those guys start to to get into it a little bit more than the fourth line was what it was. So, Flames back at it tonight against Vegas. Uh, Dustin Wolf gets the call in goal. couple quick thoughts on... Uh, Raptors against the Knicks. Early on, Randall goes right at Scotty Barnes, and Barnes is like, yeah, come at me, man. Defended it really well, but Randall hits that jumper. That It made it like 12-10, but it was at that point where it was kind of, oh. If he's making that, he's feeling it, and the, the Raptors may be in for a tough night. Like So much of Randall's stats this year look bad, because especially at the rim, because he missed like 11 shots at the rim in the opener against the Celtics. Um, like his percentage is going to be skewed all season because he just was off 
on night one against Boston on some really good looks down there. I still think that's a, a really solid player that um, that the Knicks have, and he showed it in this game. He was great. Good defense by Barnes, better execution. But Barnes was the star of the show for the Raptors in this game. He hits a three. Um, they called it a two. And it stayed a two, but it was definitely a three. And then he comes up the floor a couple trips later and makes another three. And you can just see that he's turning into a superstar. Like, he is turning into the guy that everyone thought he could be when he takes home Rookie of the Year. And he is turning into this guy who you feel like you can build this franchise around. And that's why the Raptors are saying, yeah, this guy's untouchable. Like, he is he is the building block and the foundation of this team because his the, the the offensive bag is expanding and defensively you know he's great so like th this is this is feeling like a guy you can build around now and it, it became very apparent at the mecca last night uh grimes um hits from downtown and you could start to see toronto's lack of three-point shooting really starting to creep into this one because like the raptors were fine shooting in this game but they just had a really tough time keeping up and the knicks were hitting everything from three-point range in the first half. And Toronto just had a difficult time keeping pace. They, they end up um, losing this game by six, but it, it just, it it felt like more of a grind. And that's always what it's going to be with Toronto as they sit last right now in the NBA in three-point shooting. Um, just again, no real answers for Randall. He makes a really nice move, gets to the rim. He just does whatever he wants out there, it felt like against the Raptors, and then late in the game, Hart gets two really big buckets that ends up sealing it. Um, just Toronto, it, it was a weird one, because like the offense, they put up 130. Um, but even then, you feel like the execution wasn't always great. Um, but they put up 130. It was the defense tonight, or last night. They just couldn't get a stop. Like, when they desperately, desperately needed it, they could not get a stop in this game, so they fall to the next 136-130. And... It's now, I believe, three of four that they have lost, or maybe four in a row. Um, it's becoming apparent it's not good enough in Toronto. And it sucks because we've seen so many guys leave, right? But we've le we we've seen so many guys leave for free, and that has been the, the big issue. They, they got nothing back. Obviously, they got nothing for Kawhi. Um, they got nothing for Serge. They got nothing for Gasol. They got nothing for Fred Van Vliet. They got Drogic, which was nothing, and Precious Achua, for Kyle Lowry, and that's it. And now it's Siakam's walk year. Everything points to him wanting to stay. And I, I love him. My favorite jersey right now is my Pascal Siakam white pinstripe jersey. Um, so it's tough. But it does kind of seem like this team needs to start over, and it needs to start over around Scotty Barnes. Um, I'm... I don't want to say I'm over it with OG. Like, I, I love him as a player, and I think he is the type of player you win with. But I don't think he's the type of player this team wins with. Like, I, I think, put him on, like, the Lakers or something like that, and he is kind of the final piece. He's not where this team needs him right now. And I just, I, I do think Barnes is someone you can build around, and I, I think it's time to actually blow this thing up and try to, to really make an Oklahoma City Thunder roll out of this. And it's tough for me because that probably means trading Siakam, and I don't want to do that. But it's probably what has to be done because this team, like, they're just, they, they are simply not good enough to, for, even like you saw in the play-in last year. They're, they're not good enough to beat the ninth and eighth best teams in the conference. Um, and it just, it feels like there is a ceiling on this team, and they are right up against it, and it's not good. So it feels like big changes should be happening soon 
in Toronto. That is going to do it for this show today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. A uh, reminder, follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email this show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show tomorrow, Shohei Otani just made $70 million a year. Yes, 68 of that is going to be deferred until he's 50. But I, it still made me wonder, what kind of team could you build for $70 million? So I'll do that tomorrow. Put together a 26-person roster for um, for $70 million. It's actually not bad. It's an actually pretty good squad. I'm pretty happy about it. So we're going to do that. Our UFC 296 coverage is going to continue tomorrow, looking at the non-main event fighters you should be paying attention to on Saturday night's big card to close out the year in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Thursday, we're going to do a Robbie Lawler um, legacy look. We are going to be looking at some of the other big news from around the MMA world, and it's going to be NFL Power Rankings Day. And then Friday, UFC 296 preview, two title fights, going to be breaking it all down, the full NFL preview as well. Uh, so a lot to get to for the rest of the week. You're not going to want to miss it. Subscribe to the channel, whether it's YouTube or podcast. If you're watching, like this video. If you're listening, leave a review, and I will talk to all of you tomorrow.